The Boarding Pass is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Winnipeg Jets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. One tap, two taps, that's the checkout process. Simple, quick, easy to navigate, you're out. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to one more episode of The Boarding Pass with Ken Weeb and me, Murata Tesh of The Athletic Winnipeg. In Winnipeg land right now, we've got a goaltender standing on his head. We have Blake Wheeler, the captain, playing at center. We've got news of Andrew Ladd being waived today. Uh, some shot quality issues, a homestand that's just wrapped up. We've got Ken Weeb in Florida to set up the road trip in some Pretty uh, pretty shifty weather out there on the East Coast right now, isn't it, Ken? How are you today? Oh, I am excellent, but uh, the seas are restless here. Yes, not a lot of uh, outdoor activity uh, going on in uh, lovely Fort Lauderdale, but uh, we've been pretty lucky so far, so there will be no complaints filed uh, to the complaints department because I know that uh, given the weather in Winnipeg, there will be... Uh, no sympathy giving to the complaints department. Me, Ken. No sympathy whatsoever from me on the weather that uh, that you get, though it is sunny. I will say um, uh, another situation that is sunny probably compared to expectations is the, the Jets' positions in the standings currently tied for 8th in the West. Uh, we're able to bank some points on the homestand. I know that you featured uh, Connor Hellebuck a little bit in your most recent piece evaluating the homestand, but what's really going on here? Uh, how, what what were your number one takeaways from the homestand that just finished? Yeah, you know what, Murata? I think the Jets probably got what they deserved on the homestand. Uh, obviously, we knew that their legs would be a bit of an issue uh, when they faced the New Jersey Devils to start things off. And, I mean, honestly, the fact that they were able to squeeze out a point in a game where they didn't have close to their best, that probably tells us a little bit more about that uh, uh, ability to battle through and I mean that's been a it's been a factor for the Jets uh, at times throughout the first 19 games where they have found a way to win I mean uh, we know that a lot of the metrics uh, aren't necessarily flattering uh, towards the Jets and that the uh, elite level goaltending has smoothed thing, a lot of things over but uh, I mean that that's part of it's funny we, we it, it's always part of something you talk about good teams find a way to win and we're not sure if the Jets are going to be a good team yet, but uh, even uh, bubble teams uh, have to find a way to win some nights when they're not at their best. And uh, I would say that the Jets have done that on on a few occasions. Uh, obviously, I think the most recent uh, the most recent showing against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I'm not necessarily buying what the Jets were selling in terms of. Uh, I mean, yes, they did put up 40 shots, but uh, they put up 40 shots against a third string goalie and. Although our our friends at Natural Stat Tricks say the Jets had a nine to seven edge in high danger chances, uh, I don't know that their quality of scoring opportunity was a as good as Colorado's or b 
as good as it needs to be for the Jets to win games against teams like Colorado, which are in that upper crust in the Central Division. I mean, obviously, Nathan McKinnon, you and I, Murad, have talked about him a lot in the last couple of days, and boy, oh boy, what an unbelievable showing in his two goals and two assists. But uh, I don't think that the Jets' big guns were able to generate this, the required quality of attempts. Yes, there were a few good scoring chances, but I think when a team sees uh, the backup goalie get taken out of the game 31 seconds in, uh, I think they need to get a lot more quality opportunities. I mean, I mean, we'll delve more into this uh, as we move along here. But, I mean, in the middle, the Jets had, had big wins over Vancouver and Dallas, two teams that uh, have been playing very good hockey. So, I mean, 2-1-1 one, and one is, a, is, a, is a solid homestand for the Jets. Uh, it's been one of the greater mysteries of the early part of the year that the Jets, who have once been a dominant home team, are sort of been mediocre on home ice, uh, to be perfectly honest. But uh, overall, I would say five out of eight points for the Jets was a solid home stand uh, when you consider the quality of of opponent that they faced. So, I mean, what's your take on shot quality, Murad? I mean, I know that's a, a, a subject that uh, you feel strongly about in terms of what the Jets have or have not been doing here in the in the first quarter of the year. Yeah, I I do have strong feelings about shot quality with respect to the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, I, I think that they got enough quantity against Colorado to sort of, uh, for some of those arguments, to to hold a little bit of water but in a in a forest for the trees missing sort of way because as a as a whole on the course of the season um when you start looking at uh, the hockey viz heat maps winnipeg has not gotten to the central slot the low slot the the real prime real estate in terms of generating scoring chances by any stretch and they're one of the league's worst teams not a mediocre or an average team in this in this front if you look at the expected goals models, and it's important to realize that each one of these sites uses a slightly different weighting of, of the factors that goes into what an expected moles model says. Um, but natural stat trick lists the Winnipeg Jets 30th out of 31 teams in five on five expected goals percentage. Moneypuck.com has them 31st. Evolving Hockey has them 31st as well. Uh, and in terms of actual goals scored at five on five, uh, the, the Jets are fifth worst in the NHL right now. So the offense really isn't there. And uh, on nights like the one against Colorado, you can speak to quantity and 40 shots is, is enough that you might expect that they would have gotten away with a little bit more on the score sheet. The trend overall for the Winnipeg Jets, no matter whose methods or models you're using, is that they're not generating nearly enough quality from that prime real estate, from the paint. And uh, you heard me, I, I've sort of politely been egging Paul Maurice on about this topic recently. First, it was about Mark Shifley uh, sort of playing to the perimeter before making those passes inside. Where do you set that dial? He said, well, as long as you're creating chances, it's uh, then you've made the right decision. Uh, I don't think the Winnipeg Jets are, are creating those chances. And then certainly, um, like you say, when you've got when you've got a third string goaltender come in, it reminds me of when a penalty killer drops a stick. You just want to get that puck over to that side as much as possible and fire away because you should be able to expose them. And I don't think that Winnipeg necessarily did that against Colorado. And as a result, to me, Ken, it, it just strikes me as a microcosm of the season at large. The reason that, uh, that their banking points uh, continues to be Connor Hellebuck in my mind. Okay, uh, let's let's stick with that. Uh, how about the fact that the the defense turnover? I mean, what what's going on there, and is how big a factor is that? Because Maurice did hint 
that that was a major factor in what's been going on in terms of the quality. Yeah, you you'd like to you'd like to see more chances for as well, right? Because whenever we look at an expected goals percentage or a shot attempts percentage, it takes the amount that you create and the amount that you give up and turns it into a percentage. If you turn that into simply just the amount that uh, of chances you give up per minute, uh, Winnipeg certainly has given up a you know an above average amount there and you would expect that given the quality of uh, of roster turnover some new partners some chemistry josh morrissey and jacob truba were a better partnership than josh morrissey and any other player have been uh for the jets this season and that includes tucker pullman who has shown some signs of a positive play uh nathan Bolu returning to health there there are some positive signs the interesting thing to me, the shocking thing to me, is that when you look at the percentages, it's actually more to do with how little Winnipeg is creating at the other end than what it's giving up. And I, I think but some of the goals against are the result of uniquely poor plays and mistakes. And uh, Nathan McKinnon exposing uh, Winnipeg as he did a couple of times uh, at even strength and on the power play. There are just moments where elite players are finding the Winnipeg Jets a step slow. And, um, you know, I, I like to pick on Dmitry Kulikov for that, but it's not only him. Sometimes it's it's the stars, including Josh Morrissey being on the ice for that, uh, for that Nathan, one of Nathan McKinnon's goals as well. So uh, I, I think that there is a little bit of wiggle room or uh, like I don't want to call it an excuse for the defensive roster turnover uh, but to me the the overall trend being so bad 30th 31st 31st it takes more than just what's happening in Winnipeg zone and, and the dials set a bit conservatively in the other end as well that's what I mean with Bufflin not being there Truba Myers those guys are all guys who are super active in terms of joining the rush has that been a factor the Jets aren't getting enough chaos created from the back end that maybe has created some more offense from for the forwards in the past I would say so yeah that that does make sense and the the game tying goal that uh, Andrew Kopp scored the other night in Winnipeg where Tucker Pullman joined the play took a pass from from Adam Lowry in the neutral zone I like that play by Tucker Pullman a lot. It's something you don't see for from the Winnipeg Jets this season, and that's certainly it's personnel-driven in, in a way. It's also on the quality of their breakout because they use this slash breakout where a forward from one side of the ice comes across the top and overloads kind of the, uh, the strong side. And the only way to get puck support on the weak side of the ice now with three forwards kind of either in the middle or on the strong side of the ice the only way to get a weak side player is to have a defenseman crash up that wall that used to be the Dustin Bufflin special no one does it better than he does but Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers were certainly aggressive up ice as well I think that if Winnipeg's going to get those odd man rushes, even four on threes, which aren't particularly deadly most of the time, but they set you up for good, strong in-zone offensive time, uh, I, I do think that you need more plays like that Tucker Pullman play. And I don't think that the Jets necessarily, especially with some of their fastest defenders, such as an, a Sami Niku collecting his points uh, in the AHL right now, I think the roster is built a little bit more conservatively and it's tweaked that way in terms of how they're playing at five on five as well. Okay, well, you mentioned Niku, so I got the, I worked the free Niku hashtag into my story, so I that like was that. for I, you. Yeah. That was a that was a stick tap for you for sure. So he's now Definite up to pivot. a seven game point streak. Um, when are we going to see Sammy Niku get the call? I would have imagined that we would have at this point by now, but I think I think the realistic. Um, version of how the the Jets can continue to use their their defensemen and deploy their players is there is 
there's a bias towards these veterans and uh when all else is equal they play veterans let, let me put it that way um and there's also the risk that some of these guys could be picked up by waivers and and sammy niku does not have to pass through waivers to go to the moose and there's all these other sorts of things um still uh, honestly can I, I think a guy that's having that much success and who has that much track record i i, I think it should be uh as soon as available um that's that's my opinion i think that that's a dynamic missing from the current group um that Niku's speed and his skill and his ability to pivot away from checks and move the puck up ice his offense is clearly there for the for the moose right now when does it actually happen uh, perhaps after the homestand seems about reasonable uh, uh, at this point. Uh, what do you see for that? Often you've got a good eye on the schedule for both teams uh, in, in, t- in the long run. So I, you, you're probably more accurate here. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, I know at the beginning when people were losing their collective minds to a degree about <laughs> why he was not here, I know a lot of that early on was him trying to get back up to speed because he missed so much of training camp with the groin issue and then a hamstring issue. So these are injuries that can be recurring. So I understand why he wasn't called up after two or three or four games, but now he's got a bit of more of a you know track record going on his behalf at this level so I do think it's getting closer to time when Sam Iniku should be getting a call I mean I think it's obvious that uh, his puck moving ability would be able to help the Jets right now so I, I do think it's important that the Jets do find a way to get him in the lineup sort of sooner than later I don't know that it's going to be on this uh, road trip but I do think that if he continues to play that well at the AHL level, it is important that he does get a shot uh, and bring some of those skills that the Jets could use. They need puck-moving defensemen. He has that mobility, and, and maybe he can help create some of that chaos in the offensive side of things uh, from the blue line and in joining the rush and those things too. But the thing for Niku is always going to be that he needs to have the defensive part of his game at the NHL level in order to become a regular. And I think he made some strides last year on that front, and I'm curious to see if he's continued to further those strides. But I we both thought that Niku would be on the team going into the year but then he got into the car accident then he got hurt like he was a, a month to six weeks behind but now he's starting to bridge that gap and I think it's it's time to give Sam Niku a look here in the next couple of weeks for sure yeah he's uh you mentioned his point streak and the amount of what he's been able to put together and I, I think he's sitting fourth in in points for AHL defensemen but the men who are ahead of him like Derek Pouliot or Alex Petrovic are, have played more games than he has as well I think we're safely at the point where Sami Niku's offense is a known quantity and uh, he's been putting it up for years. He actually tracked, uh, based on one piece I wrote at The Athletic uh, uh, about a year and a half ago now, in line with David Gustafson at the, uh, oh, sorry, Eric Gustafson, pardon me, at the, at the same age and, and performance level. And I think that the odds of, of strong offense at the NHL level are, are something I still very much believe in for this player. It's interesting you mentioned it, and I think that that's a, a very reasonable thing. You know, how much does he create versus how much does he give up? Is, are there defensive shortcomings there as well? And you know what? I, I really, 
uh, I think that that's the most important thing, whether you're a big player, or a small player, uh, whether you do it through puck smarts or brawn or whatever it is, just create more than gets given up when you're on the ice. And for Sammy Niku, that's going to be the thing that we look at for the entirety of his career, I feel. The interesting thing is I don't think necessarily that the um, Lucas Spizas and Anthony Batettos and Carl Dahlstrom's of the world are necessarily defensive stalwarts on their own they just get it done in kind of a different fashion so there's a line that i love uh i think it was originally written by micah mccurdy and and, and at some point nhl teams are going to give chances to players who might be good and might be bad uh and uh for the role that you give them i i actually hate that i just said might be bad because they're the 0.001 percent of the of the planet in this terms but with Sami Niku, he may succeed, he may not. And I think with some of the veterans that are being kept, there's sort of a, I'm beginning to believe that they won't necessarily succeed defensively with these guys either. Huh, that was a lot of words. Did it make sense when it came out the <laughs> other end, Ken? <laughs> yeah, I know where you're coming from there. And I think that one of the bigger problems that the Jets are having right now is as it pertains to Dmitry Kulikov. Uh, he's a veteran guy who makes 4.33 million in the last year of his deal uh, he has had some uh, head scratching moments at times this year in his own zone he's a guy that when used correctly and given I think he'd be much more effective in that uh, 13 to 16 minute window but he's had to play over 20 minutes and I think that that has been an issue I mean and that's it's not a knock on Dmitry Kulikov. It's just the fact that he probably is better suited at this stage of his career to be on the third pairing and not on the second with Neil Pionk. But given the circumstances, uh, I mean, some nights Paul Maurice has felt like he's had no choice, just has not had Beaulieu uh, at his disposal for, for much time. Now he's back uh, for his, you know, he'll be his fifth game against Florida. But those have been factors, and I think that that's why we're seeing some of those glaring errors uh, for Kulikov. But, I mean, the other night, I mean, it's been natural given how there have been some recent struggles that now now it almost becomes everything is being pointed at uh, Kulikov, even the other night when, or the other day when Jason Dickinson happened to get inside position on Neil Pionk and, and Kulikov tried to challenge him and then it led to a tap-in at the back door. Uh, I mean, it's not always Kulikov's fault, but, I mean, he needs to play better, but I think that, if he were to be sheltered a little bit more, I mean, it sounds silly to say a veteran guy needs to be sheltered, but I think he's been forced to play too much and that's led to some mistakes. So, I mean, if Sammy Niku's playing 22 minutes a game, he's going to create a lot of offense, but there are going to be some deficiencies shown there too. But I mean, that's why with the, with the, with the turmoil and the flux that the, the Jets defense core has had, I think giving someone with mobility and some of those other, other, you know, skills would, would be helpful. But at the same time, the Jets are trying to find a group that can defend a little bit better, as we know that there have been some structural issues on that front as well so far. So uh, it's an interesting, uh, you know, development and, and challenge for Paul Maurice uh, in terms of when he does play that next card, which we expect would be Niku. So well, I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out for sure. Yeah, 100% with you on that goal that you're pointing out as well. I mean, Neil Pionk uh, has had a strong season, but that was a giveaway. And, uh, you know, at, at Kulikov getting caught a little bit in no man's land uh, as he attempts to fix somebody else's mistake, uh, I think is a completely okay thing. Uh, there, That was what I would call an unforced error on Pionk's part. He had time and space and, and just 
got beaten, uh, had the puck taken away from him. Sometimes stuff like that is going to happen, and I'm not really going to hang that goal on Kulikov's head either myself, um, certainly. One of the things that I, I've been curious about is I, I feel like when, when decision makers are strained and they have lots on their plate, some of the most important features of their decisions, like you know what systems they're going to play, what, uh, uh, what the overall identity of the team is going to be, all of those sorts of things, uh, become first and foremost front of mind. And then towards the end of the roster, I, I tend to imagine that hockey decision makers uh, go with kind of what they know over the gamble, so to speak. So um, that's one of the reasons why I, I sort of imagine that there's a, there's a lean towards veterans in those spots because they'll give you the same thing every night, whatever level that is, um, and, and maybe take a little bit of stress off the decision-making where you can sort of focus it in other areas. It's a pet theory I continue to push. But Ken, I want to ask you about special teams. Uh, similarly, a place where veterans are being asked to, to carry the mail a little bit. We've looked at power play and PK. They've changed formations a couple of times on the power play. PK has had injuries to Latestu and Bork and, and then actually improved in the last couple of weeks. And we've talked a little bit about that as well. Still in the bottom 10 of the league and in both uh, in both facets, but what have you seen? Let's start with the power play. Since they moved uh, the the units around, what have you seen from the Shifley unit and, and the Wheeler one as well? Sure, it's been interesting on those fronts as well. I mean, I think there have been some progress. Obviously, we saw that goal from Patrick Laine, which was a stark reminder about what can happen when there is A, strong puck movement, B, quicker passing from the top to the one-timer slot, and C, a shooting lane available for Patrick Laine. And uh, the fact that Anton Hudobin actually played that shot as well as a goaltender can by getting out in front of the blue paint, but the puck still kind of went over his head. I mean, on the re- it, it's one of the most bizarre replays you'll see. And I mean, you have to look really closely, but basically Hudobin had to duck to get out of the way that that's what kind of shot quality it was and I mean that's something we have not seen enough of from the Jets I think in terms of of getting that one-timer shot open um, you need you need the you need quick puck movement from Wheeler to the top you need a quicker pass from either Pionk or Morrissey to that slot or the, to that shot whether it's Shifley taking it or Line, who is you know the guy who usually takes it uh, overall, again, I don't think the movement has been quick enough uh, at times. I mean, that was a great example of where Laine's moved his feet and got himself going a la Alex Ovechkin. I mean, when, when those things are happening, then the Jets' power play is totally fine, but I don't think they're creating enough of the other shots, the slot shots from, you know, where Shifley normally is and now Roslevic is. I mean, I think Kyle Connor has had some shot quality from that half wall, which is where he played it at Michigan, but... Uh, overall, I still feel like it's a work in progress. I mean, there have been a couple of, uh, you know, slot redirections for whether it be Copper or Perot at times. So, I mean, there there are some signs of life from the power play as well. And, I mean, obviously, we, you know, we've talked about Blake Wheeler not having a power play point for the first 15 games. So the fact that he was able to chip in a couple of assists, I think that was important for his confidence as well. So I do see some signs of life from the power play. And what about yourself? Yeah, I think signs of life would be a, a fair place to put it. It's interesting to me that uh, that the underlying metrics for the Jets' power play aren't nearly as poor as uh, as the bottom ten finish that they've gotten in terms of their scoring rate. Uh, in terms of the like shot attempts that they've been putting forward per minute on the power play, uh, they're actually 
not far off of the league leaders. They're in 11th in terms of the amount of times that they try to direct a puck towards the net. And then if you look at the expected goals for, for per 60 minutes or per minute on the power play, the, the Jets are sitting at 12th. So it's not maybe as bad as it looks overall. The one biggest concern I would have is that Patrick Laine specifically is shooting at about 12 shots uh, per 60 minutes of power play time, which is almost half of his career average. So it seems to me that the dangerous weapon or the deadliest weapons are getting a little bit less looks uh, on the Jets' power play than than otherwise. And I, I still believe Line can launch those rockets and those laser beams like the one that you point out, which is quite a, it's a spectacular one. And uh, I don't think his overall goal total on the power play is reflective of his, uh, his shooting ability right now. It's interesting to me, though, to see how little he specifically has been able to get shots off. And I think it's exactly what you said. It's about the speed of the puck movement. I wish, Ken, that I could remember the name of the Twitter user that, that sent this to me, but he had a, a, a nice line about um, you could make a cup of tea before a pass gets across to line A at some point. And it was just such a quaint, uh, almost formal feeling about a very intense moment, the power play trying to score, that it stuck with me. And even some of Winnipeg's best distributors who have long track records of excellent passing and Blake Wheeler being first and foremost, Neil Pionk last year on the New York Rangers power play was a deadly passer. And, and, and that was one of his biggest strengths was a setup man on that power play. Every once in a while, you see a pass come over towards line A's, uh, towards Laine's wheelhouse and it's just moving so slowly and it doesn't really leave him with much to look at by the time he's shooting um the dust and buffle in a hole that that draws less uh threat or creates less of a reason for defense to cheat towards the point as well that we could go on and on about that for for days but there might be an uptick in Jets power play performance based on the underlying numbers. And, and I think based on the amount of talent that they have, you expect that they're going to figure out, figure it out as well. They're scrapping and battling for their chances. And I think that, uh, I think that that's a place where they may be okay. Uh, conversely on the, on the penalty kill as well, uh, they've inched up, right? And uh, Blake Wheeler told you, you know, you, you spend enough time on the penalty kill and, and you'll give up one. And I guess that's an all right thing to do. The last couple of weeks have looked a little better, haven't they? Yeah, they certainly have, and I think the biggest thing with that that we've we've seen and it's been discussed is that the Jets have got a little little bit more or a lot more aggressive in terms of their reads and pressuring the a the puck carrier and b doing a better job of getting in shooting lanes. I know we had the big debate about uh, block shots and that the Jets aren't really built to block a lot of shots, but they have found a way to get into the shooting lanes more. But for me, it's more about the pressure points, uh, whether they're pressuring on the wall or they're getting to the top quicker or they're doing a little better job in front of the net. And I mean, I know that people were up in arms and Lucas Spiza was picked up off waivers, but the penalty kill has improved since his arrival. I think he does a nice job of clearing the front of the net. He's a big, strong guy. I mean, yes, the other night, the, the, the hard rim around the boards uh, turned into a soft rim around the boards and eventually led to a goal against the fourth line. But special teams-wise, I think Spiza's been a big strong guy he's done his job responsibly and I think the Jets forwards uh, obviously have been making better reads and better decisions and that and that's led to some some more success uh, while down a man and I mean we saw one shift of David Gustafson on the penalty kill that's something that we've both been calling for for a while and uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if that may continue going forward here because I don't think the Jets should run uh, either a four or five man unit which is what forward group is which is what they've done at times since brian little has uh, left the lineup here yeah you know i was i was looking for 
I was just looking at some of the the shot metrics while while you were saying that in an attempt to uh, to to find something good and positive because the the Jets power or penalty kill part of me has looked better and I agree with what you said and I feel like the reads have looked better uh, but then their bottom five in terms of shots against and expected goals against in the league over the course of the season I looked at just the last two weeks wondering if there was an uptick and and really there isn't the uh, according to at least these metrics at, at natural stat trick um, the expected goals and the and the shot attempts that they're giving up the shots that they're giving up and quality that they're giving up is still the same and it might be uh you know this is one of the cases where i'm gonna have to look at it more closely because the eyes and numbers sort of disagree because i've believed that they've looked better as well and that when lowry and cop get a higher proportion of those minutes and and perhaps a little bit less of uh gabriel bork and mark latestu whose numbers weren't very good on the penalty kill i i thought that we'd be seeing an uptick so where i say that the power play will probably get better based on the talent and based on the fact that they are throwing some things at the net uh, I'm actually all of a sudden I got to back off the PK got better bandwagon and and I'll I'll, I'll have a look at it again for next week. Um, this is sometimes yeah. sometimes your eyes aren't deceiving you though, Marat. Don't 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 forget that. Yeah, you got to trust your instincts, and that's one thing that uh, that I think I've shared with you as well. There've only been this is going to be a bit of a history, and I'm going to do it as fast as possible. There have only been a couple of moments ever where I looked at a pregame skate or something in terms of the intangibles on the ice, and I thought to myself, I know who's going to win this hockey game uh, since uh, since I've started covering the Jets. Because I try to stay as rational, as data-driven as possible, but there's a couple of pregame skates. One was Game 5, Jets uh, versus Wild in Round 1 two seasons ago, where I thought to myself, I absolutely know the, the, the Wild are dead in the water here, and I didn't write it. It, I was not courageous about the instinct. And the same thing about Game 6, Jets at Blues. Uh, didn't write it, was not courageous in the instinct. So I guess, Ken, I'm going to have to lay off the reins of the spreadsheet uh, business right here. One of the reasons why I've been thinking about that, why it's front of mind, though, and why you've sort of touched on a, on a nerve here with me, is that with these Winnipeg Jets this season... I believe they're doing so many things right. And the staying in the fight mantra we keep hearing, I, I sincerely believe we see that night in and night out. Um, there are mistakes and there are goals against uh, based off defensive miscues you would not want from a contending team. Um, Connor Hellebuck, I continue to believe, is, is keeping this team in the fight standing-wise. But in the midst of it all, there are some really good signs by me in terms of the attitude the workmanlike nature the staying in the games that um the the game doesn't really change and they they continue to seem to believe them in themselves for a comeback and i don't think that smoke and mirrors from from a psychology or from an attitude perspective from these guys and i i think that they they deserve a lot of credit and i i've noticed that uh, that you've given them that as well uh what what happens when an average team keeps a, an above average attitude through the rest of the season. Do you have context for that? Can can you put make this make sense for me? Yeah, no, I I know where you're coming from for sure, Murat. I mean, I yes, I mean the there have been times where the Jets look like they're a lottery team and there have been other times where they stay in the fight in parentheses. I mean, I'm telling you right now if we started printing some t-shirts, we'd be making a fortune here with that slogan or bumper stickers or whatever <laughs> we decide to do, but uh, that phrase that's been used by Blake Wheeler so often, it, it is tangible in that it creates a belief. I mean, the Jets have been down after two periods at 11 of 19 games so far. That is not a formula for success. 
However, the fact that they've won five of those games, that deserves some praise. And the fact that they have been able to hang around mostly because of good goaltending, I mean, those things are real. I mean, it doesn't mean the roof will cave in and that this team will suddenly become a cellar dweller, but they do need to improve some of those other areas. Uh, we talked about shot quality. I mean, there have been some structural concerns. I mean, overall, their team defense on some nights has improved, but other nights their coverage has been lackluster or their decision-making or or the bad change or, you know, it, the other night Nathan McKinnon uh, shoots out of a cannon and has himself a breakaway on his second goal. I mean, there, there have been some strange breakdowns, but overall... When a team is able to hang around, especially when they're not creating the same type of offense we're used to seeing, especially when the power play that's been among the league's best is now in the bottom third. I mean, when a team is winning in spite of those things, yes, they are playing with fire to a degree, and let's not ignore the fact that they have four regulation wins. But finding a way to win is part of becoming a good hockey team. I mean... The Jets are going to have to improve in a lot of those areas if they want to be a good hockey team over a longer period of time. But, I mean, the fact that they have managed to deal with all of the chaos and the noise and the off-ice off distractions, uh, the not having Dustin Bufflin around, I mean, those things are, are deserve praise because they can be character-building, for lack of a better term. And I know that is a term that is... Uh, not always uh, well received in the analytics community if you will well i i sincerely believe character is an important trait i believe that underlying numbers predict success and i think that that's been proven as well but i am willing to get into the thought process that if you know for these guys results impact mentality and, and their attitudes impact uh, you know sort of their the way that they move through the day if they're able to continue to bank points stay in the fight standings wise uh, and get to the pos position where they're still in the fight later in the season, then one of two things is going to happen in my mind. And it's that the underlying numbers that are poor, the no regulation or not the lack of regulation wins, uh, the shot quality getting beaten, uh, special teams issues and things like that are either going to catch up to them and they're going to fall off drastically or perhaps staying in the fight is enough of a, sort of a psychological boost such that they can get to a point where they actually improve, they, they figure out some of their, uh, their issues, cut down on those mistakes, and come off with better underlying numbers at the end. So for me, if they go on some sort of tear at some point this season, I imagine it's going to be because the, the overall performance was better and better in a measurable way. But was it better in a measurable way? And did they find a way to get to that because they were able to keep in a good headspace and a good workmanlike, business-like manner right now? I, I think that's the story that's going to be told in the mid part of the season. Uh, for the moment, it's the mid part of the podcast. So for subscribers, we'll see you in a minute. If you don't subscribe to the Athletic Winnipeg or the boarding pass right now, you can absolutely do that. Head to theathletic.com slash theboardingpass and you'll be able to hear us get more into some of Blake Wheeler's former teammates. Andrew Ladd's making news in the NHL right now. Deep dive Wheeler himself and perhaps a couple of other Winnipeg Jets topics coming up after the break. For Ken Weave, this is Murata Tesh and this is The Boarding Pass. Boarding Pass.